So while the men are away to retreat, I'm going to preach to you a sermon that I gave for our youth retreat. So um, it's, it's on the topic of the image of God. And this is something that is incredibly important for all of us to understand, and mainly for teenagers, because teenagers face a constant push to figure out what their identity is. Whether they're going to find their identity in the friends they hang out with, the clothes they wear, their success, their abilities, and their talents. Students, teenagers, are, are trying to figure out who they are. They're in that stage where they just really don't know who they are yet. And so, as we look at this topic of the image of God, we're going to take it from the, the angle of figuring out identity. Because your identity is huge. So maybe as, as you're hearing me describe what teenagers face, maybe you're thinking, heck, I face that. I face figuring out who I am. I face, man, what is my identity? Where do I find my value? Where do I find my satisfaction? Where do I find my purpose? So maybe you're asking those big questions of who am I? And that's an important question. So as we, as we figure out this, this topic of the image of God, let me, let me just give you the main important theme that I want you to remember. You are an image bearer of God who is looking toward the perfect image of God, which is Jesus Christ. So we're going to go on, on a, I guess we'll call it a journey, of four different steps. So the first step is the created image of God, where how God has created us in his image and his likeness. The second step will be how this image is now fallen, fallen because of our sin in ways that we fall short before God. The third step will be how God restores us in Jesus Christ. And then the fourth step will be how God perfects us in Jesus Christ. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Genesis 1, and we're going to flip uh, throughout Scripture a little bit. So we'll start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We're asking the question, what is the image of God? And this is, this is where... God lays it out for us. This is the creation story, and we'll see how God created humankind. So Genesis 1, verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Let's just pray and then we'll dig into this. God, we we just thank you for, for your grace that that created us. We thank you for creating us in your image, Lord. What a blessing, what a privilege that is. God, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we just dive into this topic of the image of God. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of sin, and Lord, show us your grace 
So God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. You, Lord, are our rock, you're our redeemer, and you're our God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So what does it mean that we're in the image of God? What does it mean? Well, as I was doing some research on it, you know, you you hear this image of God is kind of like we mirror God, we're like God, but we're not God. We represent God. And so I work with, with teenagers, like I said. And so I'm trying to figure out ways to make biblical topics make sense in the mind of a teenager. So as you, you might have noticed, Jennifer dismissing the, the kids. So we have kids in this room that are in second grade. So my goal for this message today is for second graders to understand the concept of the image of God. So let me, let me just show you what it's like. We mirror and we image God. And so you can see this is a mirror. And so a mirror, what does a mirror do? Well, it shows us images. So right now you're probably seeing this table, maybe the carpet that goes with it. If we go like this, we'll, we'll just kind of pan so you can see yourself. There you go. But the difference about this mirror is it doesn't show the fullness of the image. So like right now, you can see my hand. You see my hand is kind of round, maybe kind of like sausage fingers, but it's okay. But so if I go like this, you only see a flat picture. You don't see the actual fullness of the image. So in the same way, this is how we image God. We image God just as a mirror. We reflect it. We don't mirror him in his fullness, in his completeness, because God is infinite and beyond our human minds and understanding. So the way that we mirror him is just like this image. Just like as I stick my hand out, you can see my hand, but you don't see the fullness and the detail of it. So that's, that's kind of how we look at the image of God. You know, it's kind of like a mirror. So I'll just kind of leave that, leave that there for now. I'll, I'll go back to it. And so what are the different ways that we image God? Scripture says that we have an incredible dignity, value, and honor because of the fact that we do, in fact, image God. So let me, let me just give you five different ways that human beings image God and reflect God. So human beings, they have this incredible dignity and value. We can see glimpses of the image of God in every single person. You know, we can see it when people rejoice, when people laugh, when people hurt when they're in pain, because in that moment, they're reflecting characteristics that our God has. And this this has an incredible implication, some serious implications for us on how we live and how we see the world. So that unborn baby that's still in the womb, they have the image of God. They have an incredible dignity and value because they're made in the image of God. That person with Down syndrome, reflects and images God in a beautiful way. The people that that we come in contact with on on an everyday basis, regardless of economic status, political views, whether they like the patriots or not, they all image and reflect God in an incredible way. So all human beings have this value. So let's, let's look into some of these different ways that human beings have the image of God. So the first way, we're unique 
from the rest of creation. So if you, if you keep reading it, if you read Genesis 1, you can see how God creates things and creates the animals according to their kind. Whereas with humans, you can see that God does it very differently. So like with the, with the created animals in order, God speaks and it happens, right? Well, with, the, with humans, God like takes a step back and he forms us with his hands, and he breathes life into us. There's a distinct value in, human, in humanity that is seen in that moment. The second thing that we see is that, hey, we're not God, and we're not simply created animals. So we can't simply say, all right, we have the image of God. We have this spark of divinity in us. We are, we are great. We are up here. We are so high. We can't say that. And in the same way, we can't say, oh, we're just, we're just you know, animals. We, we evolved somehow. We don't know how. It's not that. It's not that either. Because the, the Latin word, the Latin root for um, humanity comes from the same word as humility, which means to know your place. So we're not up here like God, but we're not down here like animals. We're kind of in the middle ground. We're made in the image of God, and able to oversee the animals. I was, as I was doing some research, um, I wrote the sermon in December, and I saw an article in like early December in the Times, in, um, the Time magazine online, and I swear to you, this is not a joke. The article was about trying to get chimpanzees' human rights. I, I swear to you, you can look it up if, if you want to go home. But what, what that's showing is there's people in this world who think that we're just like chimpanzees. And that's not true because chimpanzees were not made in the image of God, but humans were. The third thing that we see is that we're created by a personal God. Created by a personal God. The rest of creation is made with God's word. We were created and formed by God's hands and breathed life into us. You can see an intimacy there. God gave us freedom to make decisions. He gave us freedom to have a mind. He gave us the ability to have emotions and personalities that reflect and mirror him and bring him glory. So we see that we have a personal God who who knows us, who loves us, who cares for us, and has created us in the unique ways that he has to bring him glory and honor and praise. The fourth thing that we see is that human beings are dependent. So when Adam and Eve were made, they were made in God's likeness, perfect. They were, made, they were created without sin. So even, even before Adam and Eve sinned, they were dependent upon God. Did you notice in the created story, in the creation story, that God intentionally speaks to Adam and Eve? That shows a dependence, that shows a relationship is being made there. So we can see that we were originally made with a relationship with God in mind. We're dependent creatures. We need God to direct us and to guide us and to show us what to do. And the last thing we see, you can look in verse 27 for this one. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the last thing we see, there's many other things that I could say, but we were created 
male and female in God's image. And, and in God's design, we're to have complementary relationships. So male and female were created in God's image equally. You know, if you're familiar with the creation story, Eve is taken from Adam's rib, from his side, to show an equal partnership, an equal relationship there. You know, it's not like that God... So, so what that means for us is we're not supposed to have, like, males leading and males being chauvinistic, and we're not also to have women, you know, leading in, in, in feminism. So what that shows is that there's equal relationships. There's an equal partnership. And God created us to serve each other, to love each other, to encourage one another and to care for one another, ultimately to live for God and to bring him glory in all that we do. And so God has created us in our unique ways, male and female, to image God perfectly. So there's so many other things that I could say. We don't have time for it. But ultimately what these different things show us is that we mirror God. And thankfully we don't have to like try to be in the image of God. We simply have to just be alive and we're in the image of God. We were created with, we're created with a unique value and inherent purpose to image God and display him to the world. And so God created us as his image bearers, not because he needed us in any way, but because he wanted to, to give people, to give humanity an opportunity to share in his infinite blessings and his infinite perfections. So we can see that this image of God is so important for us to understand. You know, God created us with a mind, with a heart, with thoughts, with feelings. And he also created us with with a mind that can understand what's right and wrong. So inherent in the image of God and what makes us different from animals is that we know what's right and wrong. You know, we have the ability to make a good decision. We also have the ability to make a bad decision, unfortunately. And so we're moral agents who make these decisions, and we can either defame God and live for ourselves, or we can obey God and live for him. And so the first place in the Bible that we see this this disobedience is in Genesis 3. And so this is going to take us to the next step of the fallen image. All right, so look at Genesis 3. It's just on the, the next page. What has gone wrong? Well, we know Adam and Eve sin. So this is the account that we're going to read. Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But did God say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the midst of the garden and must not touch it or you will die? You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, 
and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord's, Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So we don't, we don't have time to dig into all the things that are happening here. But what we can tell is, from this, from this moment on, the future of humanity is sealed. Through Adam's sin, the image of God is now marred. You know, Romans 1, it talks about how the creation is, is subjected to futility because of sin that entered into the world through this moment. So let me, let me just show you what this does to the image of God. So we have this mirror, and if you're familiar with the story, you can kind of see how Adam's disobedience and lack of leading Eve, it... I didn't mean to do it like that, but it's all right. It works. You get the point. It breaks it. It breaks the image. I swear, it worked better on the retreat. I swear to you, it did. But it breaks the image. It's marred. You know, you have, you have Adam's lack of leading Eve. You have Adam's passivity. You have Adam's blame shifting. You have Eve's disobedience to God's word. You have Eve's pride. And you have, you have sin that enters into the world in this moment. And we see here that God has to work. God has to do something. And so no longer do we perfectly reflect and mirror God because of sin that entered into the world. And so look at, look at what happens now. The image of God is not lost. The image of God is not lost. It passes to his son. It passes on to the rest of humanity. But we can see here now is no one is acceptable before God. No one is acceptable before God. No one, we know, no one would keep this, this mirror in their house, right? I actually cut myself. All right. It works. It's just a, it's a flesh wound. It's okay. Um, but no one would keep this mirror in their house, right? It's not functioning like it should. Because no one, no one would look at this mirror and say, oh yeah, this is, this is how I designed it to be. In the same way, human beings are not functioning the way that they should. No one is acceptable before God. So the state of humanity is not what it should be. It's not what it should be at all. And we, the way we, we try and cover ourselves is say, oh, well, maybe self-help will help. But it doesn't. Maybe if I watch Oprah, that will help. It won't help. Well, it's the New Year, so I'll make a bunch of New Year's resolutions. It won't help. Maybe I will, I'll try really hard. I'll get counseling. Maybe that will help. No. Maybe I'll work out a lot. Go to the gym. That will help. No, it won't help. Nothing will fix this. 
Clearly nothing will fix this. So we can see here, we see here that something has to happen. Something outside of us has to come in and change us. So we're about to make this third step to the restored image of God. How can we be changed? So let's turn ahead to Romans 5. Romans 5, verse 12. This is the scripture reading that we read. Just read verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, through Adam, and death through sin, in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. So through Adam's sin, all mankind now has this sinful nature. All mankind now looks like this. We're all messed up. We got holes in us. We got shards of glass everywhere. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to clean that up. But we're, we're all broken. We're all messed up because of this. We have, we have our hearts that are bent toward pride, toward trying to run our lives on our own without God. And this is the state of humanity. You know, we reject, we reject the sovereignty of God. We reject his authority in our lives. Through our sin. The sinful nature is, is that we kind of walk around looking like this cracked mirror. We walk around thinking that, you know, that we're all right, when in reality, this is what our heart looks like. We're not able to, to image God the way that we should because of our sin. So look, at, look ahead to Romans 5. Romans 5, 18. Go down. Says, consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. So what this verse shows us is that through that one act of righteousness by Jesus, through his death on the cross and through his resurrection from the grave, there's now righteousness available to all of us who look like this. Righteousness is now available through Jesus Christ. We can be justified. We can be declared righteous before God. And so what that means is when we stand before God, he doesn't see this. He doesn't see this broken, messed up mirror. He sees the cross. He sees the cross of Christ. And and if I didn't break through this, maybe I can salvage this. I have some tape on the back that I was going to do in the form of a cross, but I'm giving you all my tricks. At the winter retreat, one of the girls asked if I was going to do a magic trick. And I said, no way, that would be ridiculous. But this is kind of what I feel like now. So we have, a, we have a cross here trying to fix it. And this is what God does. I mean, God can fix this broken image in his own way. It really is jacked up. Oh, this is fun. This is, man, this is like a show. This is great. And the cross, this is a scrappy cross, but it's all good. But that's what God sees. He doesn't see the fact that there's shards of glass everywhere. He sees the cross. So when we stand before God, 
with our messed up heart, messed up life, he doesn't see that. He sees Jesus. He sees the perfect record of Christ covering our sin, covering the ways that we fall so short before God. And so as God's image bearers, we're, we're made to mirror God as an act of worship. And so what's, what's the way that we do that now because of our sin? Well, the best way we do that now is when we turn back to him, when we believe in him, so that when we stand before God, if we believe in Jesus and trust in his death on the cross for our sins and his resurrection from the grave for our new life, God sees the cross. He doesn't see that broken mirror. And so if you're thinking, if you're here today, my life is just so beyond repair, and you feel the guilt of shame the guilt of sin, the ways that you fall so short before God, if that's you, and you feel like this messed up broken mirror, come to Jesus. I mean, come to Christ. I mean, that's, that's why he came. You know, God, in his infinite mercy, sent Jesus from heaven to live the life that we couldn't and to die the death that we should have and that we rightly deserved. And then Jesus rose again on the third day, giving us new life. This is why we're here. This is why, like, this is why we talk about Jesus so much. Maybe this is your first time in, in our church. Uh, welcome. Uh, but this is why we talk about Jesus. Like every song that we sing has the name Jesus in it. We're all about him. And the reason why is Jesus makes us new. Jesus cleanses us. Jesus gives us this new life. And so Jesus, he gives us his perfect record of righteousness. You know, the, the verse that we're reading, Jesus is, is known in scriptures as the second Adam. The second Adam who brought new life. You know, Jesus is now our new representative before God who, who takes our place for our sins. So we must, we must turn to God. You know, there's nothing in us that can change us. Like, if I work really hard, I can't piece together every, every broken part of this mirror and put it back together. I just can't do it. And you can't put together your life. But God can. And so what God does is, he fixes our broken image when we believe in him. When we believe in him, we're, we're born again. We're made a new creation. And what that looks like is, God picks up all of these shattered pieces of glass in his hands, and he supernaturally makes this new image, makes this new mirror, and he makes us new. He changes us completely and totally. And so this is kind of what it looks like. It looks like this. We look like this. We don't look like, like that jacked up mirror. We look like Christ. We look like his his perfections, and his glory. That's how we image God when we look to Jesus. And so he makes us new. He gives us a new identity. We don't look for the things of this world to satisfy us. We don't look for our jobs to give us purpose. We don't look for our, our friends and family to give us value and satisfaction and love. We look to Jesus. And once, once you place your identity on him, everything else comes in line. Christ is central to your life. Christ is, 
like as a Christian, our identity is in Christ. I was talking to um, a youth group student about this, actually this past week. And he was, he was just saying, you know, if my identity is in Christ, I realize that, that there's nothing I did to earn it, which means there's nothing I can do to lose it, which is incredibly freeing. And that's, that's the heart of this. That's the heart of, of what's going on as, in, as a Christian, that we are free. We are free to live for God, and we are free to be who we are in Jesus. We don't have to try and put back together our sinful hearts and sinful broken lives because Jesus does it for us. That's the point of the gospel. That's what we believe. So now we're, we're, we're making that fourth final step to the perfected image. It's right here. It's Jesus. If, if you want to turn there, you don't have to. It's Colossians 1.15. It says, Christ is the image of the invisible God. So, Jesus is the only one, the only one who has perfectly imaged God. He's the only one. You know, in, in Jesus' earthly ministry, we can see how he perfectly mirrored God the Father, how he perfectly mirrored God the Spirit. We can see how Jesus' life was continuously pouring himself out for the glory of God and the blessing and benefit of everybody he came in contact with. So if we, if we want to know how to live a life of love, of mercy, of grace, of truth, of righteousness, of holiness, if we want to know how to live that way, we look to Jesus. If we want to know how to handle pain, despair, rejection, we look to Jesus. Because Jesus has done it all. Jesus took on our shame. Jesus lived a holy life so that we could look to him. So this is what it's kind of like to be a Christian. You know, it's easy for us to, to get caught up. I'll go around this way. It's easy for us to get caught up in, in looking at our broken mirror and looking at the other people in our lives' broken mirror. And we can say, oh, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. You know, his, his hole is bigger in his mirror. When in reality, that's not how it should be. We should be looking at Christ like this. And that's how we live. And slowly, supernaturally, what happens is this hole that I punch through gets healed up. And Christ supernaturally heals us and begins to reconcile this broken image. As we behold the glory of God, behold the glory of Jesus, that's what happens. That's what life as a Christian is. That we see Jesus and we live for him above everything. So, if we constantly live our lives with the cross of Jesus on the forefront, with our identity firmly planted and rooted in Christ, we're going to see two things happen. And it's two things you've probably heard of before. That our lives are meant to love God and to love others. This is kind of what you could summarize all of Jesus' teachings as. That one statement, that we're called to love God and to love others. And so we love God by believing in him, by repenting of sin, by turning away from sin. We love God by worshiping him, by serving him, by living for his glory, and by living in relationship with him. That's how we love God. 
We love others by simply doing the one another's of Scripture. So by serving one another, by speaking the truth to one another, by encouraging one another, by living in community with one another, by singing with one another, by laughing with one another, all to the glory of God. That's how we're to live. So wherever you are on this spectrum, maybe this is your first Sunday here, maybe you're in second grade, and you're trying to figure out how you can honor God with your life. Simply love God and love others. Because what we see in the cross is we see a horizontal line that shows that Christ causes us to horizontally love others, but also we see a vertical line that causes us to love God. And once we get that vertical line, we see that our identity is firmly rooted in Christ, we're living for Jesus, then we're then able to love one another in a way that honors God. So we can see here, everything that Jesus said is boiled down to this. Love God and love others. So let's, let's just go to one final place. It's in 1 John 3. 1 John 3, verse 2. This is where it gets crazy. Crazier than punching a hole through a mirror on, on a stage in front of a couple hundred people. Crazier than that. Look at verse 2 of 1 John 3. It says... Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So in our human life, we have this sinful nature. We look like this. We have a sinful nature, a sinful heart. We're trying to grow in holiness. We're trying to make that shift to start looking like this. But you know, we never, we never will get there. Like as much as we try to love God, we try to love one another, we're not going to be perfected on this side of eternity. But what this verse is showing us, and this is where it gets crazy, it says, if you just look at it again, it says, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So when we die, those who believe in Jesus will be perfected to look like this perfect mirror and perfectly reflect the image of God. That's where it gets crazy. So when we die, we'll become like Jesus. We won't be God. Like the mirror is just the mirror. We won't be God, but we will perfectly reflect and image our creator. And think about what that day will be like. You know, Revelation 21, it says that God is going to wipe away every tear. There's going to be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more hardship, no more trials. And this is the verse that always gets me is, in Revelation 21, it's it's verse 4, it says, we will see Jesus face to face. Like, can you imagine what that's going to be like? When you see Jesus, the person that you've been singing to in worship for your whole life the person who you've been praying to your whole life, the person who you've been trying to get to know through his word your whole life, what is it going to be like when you see him face to face? It's going to be tremendous. 
This is where God makes all things new. He makes all things new. So we long for this eternal image. We long for this. We want to look like Jesus. And in the meantime, we're, we're caught here, but the way that we grow is by looking at Jesus, not looking at ourselves. Because that just promotes despair. Let's look to Jesus. Because that's where joy is. That's where satisfaction is. And that's where we find our identity. So, the answer to the question, who am I? You are an image bearer of God who is looking to the perfect image bearer of God, which is Jesus Christ. So, let's pray. Oh, Father God, we, we just are in awe of your grace and awe of your mercy, Lord. We thank you for, for how you, you just work and how you... How you've saved us, God. What, what an incredible thought that you sent Jesus to live our life, to die our death, so that we can know you. God, we owe to you everything, Lord. I pray that you would be with us. Lord, I pray if there's people in here that have not put their trust in you, Lord, I pray that they would do that now. So God, I just pray that you would hear, hear our words, Lord, hear our hearts. Lord, we want to know you more. We want to be more like you. So, Lord Jesus, I pray this week and every day from here that we would, we would strive to perfectly image you more and more on a daily basis. And, Lord, we can't wait for the day we'll see you face to face. What a thought that'll be. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.